It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. What are unions? How do unions get started in the workplace? And who are they designed to support? We'll answer all of these questions and more on this edition of Getting Schooled. I'm Abby Hornacek. Recently in the news, we've witnessed the unionization of several big companies, from Starbucks to John Deere. Which leaves the question, what are unions and should you be a part of one? We often hear about the Screen Actors Guild and the American Federation of Television and Radio Artists because we've learned that they protect the rights and benefits of actors. We've also learned about unions in history class supporting workers way back in the Great Depression and during the war. There are over 14 million people who are unionized in the United States, and union membership has appeared to fluctuate over the last several years, not helped by the recent Great Resignation. So what is the history behind unions? What are their benefits? And what's the process of joining and starting one? Well, here to talk me through all of this is the chair of the UC Berkeley Center for Labor Research and Education, Ken Jacobs. Ken, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Um, So I'm glad we're having this conversation about labor unions because it affects a lot of people. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners who are tuning in right now have questions or maybe they're a part of a union. Maybe they want to be a part of a union. So let's just start with the basics. What are labor unions? Sure. A union is an organization of workers who join together to bargain collectively with their employer. Workers have little power as individuals, but by coming together in unions, they're able to exercise power over important decisions that affect their lives in the workplace, wages, benefits, working conditions, health and safety, and in the broader society. So what's the, it sounds great to be a part of a union, right? Um, Why wouldn't someone want to join one? Well, what's interesting right now is we find that support for unions is at its highest point since the mid-1960s. 68% of workers approve of unions, and that's bipartisan. There's strong support among Democrats and close to half of Republicans and very strong support among independents. But at the same time, only one in 10 workers are in a union, one in nine covered by a union contract, uh, compared to the early 1970s when it was uh, one out of four who were in unions. And in the private sector, it's even lower. It's only Uh, 6% of workers who are covered by a union contract. So why is that? And a lot of the answer to why that is, is that we have seen a strong erosion of labor rights in the United States over the last 50 years that has made it harder and harder for workers who want to be in a union to join a union and to be able to bargain at their work. Okay, can you break that down a little bit further? When you say there's a strong erosion of labor rights in the U.S., what are those rights and what are we missing out on? Well, in terms of what those rights are, mm-hmm. that what, what comes with collective bargaining and, and what we've seen from unions, you know, on average, workers covered by a union contract 
earn about 10% more in wages than a peer with a similar education and occupation to a non-union worker in their same industry. So we know unions raise wages, they improve workers' benefits, unions significantly increase the likelihood that workers will receive employer-sponsored health insurance and a pension. Unions have won paid sick days and vacation days and holidays, more predictable schedules. Um, They significantly reduce the likelihood that a worker or their family member relies on a public safety net program and really significantly improve health and safety at the workplace. But importantly, the effect of unions goes well beyond just those workers in that workplace. When there's enough members of of union in, in unions in an industry, we see wages rise for all workers in that industry as other employers are trying to both attract workers and keep unions out. And we've also seen, if we look at the data over time, and both in the U.S. and internationally, that the more workers who are in unions, the less economic inequality we see in society. Mm. And that's both because unions help improve pay. And it's also because when workers are in unions, they have a way to have a collective voice and, and use their collective power also in, in engaging in public policy and making the laws. Unions are the ones who fought for the eight-hour day, the weekend, minimum wage, uh, workplace safety regulations, lots of policies that affect workers whether or not they're in a union. So then um, just back to my question, what's a situation where someone would say, you know what, I'm not going to join one? Right. Well, so what's happened, I I turn that question around slightly. Why is it that we don't have more workers in unions, given how much unions improve uh, conditions at at the workplace and how many people say they want to be in unions Mm. compared to how many they are there are. And that is. We have our labor laws, uh, when the National Labor Relations Act was passed during the the Great Depression, it was very clear that the goal of the law was to encourage and promote unionization. And slowly over the years, because of court rulings and and some changes in law, that the, the, the path to forming a union became harder and harder. And what employers figured out was there are no real penalties, financial penalties in the law for violating labor law. So what they all they needed to do was just delay as much as possible. So the workers who are not happy with what's happening in the workplace quit rather than continuing to struggle to create a union. Oh, that's a bummer. And go ahead and violate the law because there's very little, to, if any, cost. And so it's become more difficult and you workers are still organizing and we're seeing that happening right now, but it's become more difficult for workers to organize. And that's why one of the big things that unions are trying to do at this point is to change our labor law to make it so that it's much easier for workers who decide they want to bargain collectively to have the right to do so. Okay. So what you're saying is that it's not necessarily coming from the individual saying, I don't want to join a union because of X, Y, Z. It's more so coming from the employers making a little bit, making it a little bit harder to form a union or to join one. Is that what you're saying? There are individuals who don't want to join unions who think they can do better on their own than they can do working with everybody else. But when we look at at the polling among workers, two thirds support unions. 
So then you have to ask then why is it only that 10% are in unions? And there I think looking at the actions that uh, that employers are taking and, and the growth of a big anti-union consulting industry that works with employers to try to thwart unions um, has had a big impact. And it, it's and it is very uh, let's say terrorizing, intimidating to workers going through that process when workers decide they want to join a union. The employers hold what they call what are called captive audience meetings, mandatory meetings where they come in and tell workers all sorts of not true and terrible things about the union. Um, they use threats and intimidation. Uh, that's illegal, but again, there's no financial penalties. Uh, we saw that in, in Amazon where the workers were organizing and Amazon did a number of things that violated the law. And the only penalty was now the election is gonna be rerun, but the damage was already done. And so, uh, that is that's why it's so important that we change the laws um but it's also true right now we're in an interesting moment where there are a lot of there's a lot of interest in unions right now and we are seeing in various places uh workers standing up to their employers intimidation and uh voting in unions well something that struck me when you were talking i think it was two questions ago you said that one of the benefits of uh joining a union is to improve the health and safety in the workplace and what comes to mind is the entire Alec Baldwin situation, right? There were reports that the union, um, they weren't happy because of the work conditions on set. So can you break that down for me? What was your analysis of that entire situation? Well, in in that case, the, the I mean, I don't have all the details, you know, remember all, all the details just up front on that, but that's it, it is right that workers were worried about health and safety conditions on the set and were raising issues. And tragically, uh, those concerns weren't taken seriously or taken care of. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we have seen that they've, since that that time, they're, they're pushing harder to, to change some of the, the, the practices around the use of, of firearms. Right. Um, but we, we have, you know, one of the other really... There was important research done early on uh, as COVID was spreading and where the researchers found a big difference in availability of PPE and in um, availability to have paid sick leave and the, the kinds of practices that created greater workplace safety during COVID strongly correlated with having a union. And one of the big issues there, and we see this a lot in health and safety, is that often without a union, workers are afraid to raise health and safety issues with their employer. Why? They're afraid of retaliation. Mm. And just having that contract that creates a grievance procedure and a channel in which people can raise issues um, without, without fear of retaliation makes a huge difference in people's willingness to step forward and exercise a voice at work. So that's that's interesting because if we go back, I mean, not even to get into the details of the Alec Baldwin situation, but I just feel like that's a good way um, for people to kind of understand because a lot of a lot of people read about the story. Um, These workers were in a union 
And it seems like there is nothing being done about the work conditions. So how does a union then fight back? What protections does it give to those people if their requests are being ignored? Well, the union, a union is the collection of employees, right? It's, an, it's, it's the organization of the employees to, together to make change. So what are their avenues? One avenue is through their collective bargaining and what they get in their contract and what the rules are. And many union contracts include strong rules around health and safety. Another avenue is enforcement, a mechanism for enforcement of existing law mm-hmm. that we have lots of good employment laws on the books and health and safety laws on the books, but we know that there's that wage theft is rampant, especially in lower wage industries, that employers not paying people everything that they're due. Um, And so the laws aren't self-enforcing, especially when workers feel intimidated and are afraid if they raise any issues, they could lose their job. And so the other thing the union does is give people that protection in numbers to raise those kinds of issues with their employer and if they're not t- being taken seriously, uh, unions can uh, they can take things to another step where we've seen strikes over issues of health and safety or walkouts or other kind or more likely uh, workers coming together and, and marching together in all doing a petition and marching together on the boss to say this is what's going on. This is the change that we need. Uh, so there's a, all sorts of avenues that workers can take when they're together, Hmm. but it's important to have that vehicle so they can raise that collective voice with the employer so it isn't one worker standing up who will face retaliation. Strength in numbers, right? (laughs) Absolutely. Always strength in numbers. numbers. You touched upon it a little bit earlier that it's a little bit more difficult to start a union. What's that process like and what are the eligibility requirements, let's say, to starting a union? Sure. Well, first note, most Americans who are in unions are there because they took jobs in places that were already union. And that's how most people get into into unions. But when unions start, when when there's a starting in a new place, like we're we're looking at this happening in Starbucks right now. There are 54 Starbucks where workers have filed uh, for union elections. So in that case, workers will come together, decide that they want to have a union in their shop. Uh, They may go and and reach out to the union that's doing organizing in that area, represents that area to get that support. Or in some cases, or in other cases, the union might, uh, people elsewhere, an existing union might come to the workers and say, hey, we're doing this in this area um, and assess interest there. Um, When they find, when there is, enough support, at some point they will start collecting authorization cards. And by law, they only need to turn in 30% showing of interest. In practice, in order to win an election, you want to be much, much higher than that. It's you know, 75, 80, 90%, you know, a, a large number of cards coming in and showing overwhelming support in the workplace. Um, Once the cards are turned in, the National Labor Relations Board will work with the employer and the union to set timing on the election. And just to note, 
there doesn't have to be an election. The law was originally written that once a majority turned in their cards and showed interest, that employers were supposed to just recognize the union. An election was only in the case that there was a dispute between which union or some reasonable question as to whether or not those cards really showed a majority. Uh, in in the, over the in the last fifty years, it's been much more the practice of that employers do require that there is an election. Um, when the when, at that point, many employers bring in these anti-union consultants to try to convince workers to vote no, uh, which is really why it's very important that workers have the conversations in advance and are they prepared for what's going to what's going to come. But the NLRB will set that election date. More recently, they've been done by mail uh, during COVID, and I think that's going to likely be a, a common way that's used going forward. So there'll be some period of time in which the election is open. People vote yes or no. Then when, once the date is hit, the, the votes are counted. Uh, if there's a clear majority, then uh, the employer is required to, to recognize the union. Uh, if, if there's a clear minority, then they're not recognized. Often there will be uh, fights over, challenges over which workers have the right to vote in this case. And, and so sometimes there'll be a, a tussle over it for a period of time. Once the union, that's resolved, that if the union's recognized, then they go on to negotiate the first contract, uh, which is the other really big step. So, you know, the, in Starbucks, we're seeing a good illustration of this right now. In Buffalo, there the union turned in, the, or three different uh, shops turned in cards to do elections. The union clearly won in one, they lost in another. In the third, there were, there were uh, challenges over ballots. Ultimately, the union prevailed in that case. So in two cases, they were recognized. Now there are 54 nationally uh, where, where uh, elections are going forward. So, you know, that's the, that is the sort of the basic process of how mm. how this happens. How um, long? But there are lots of there are lots of variations. And I'll just say another good example of, of just the way the empl employers respond in these campaigns is in the first case with Starbucks in Buffalo, the employer came in and the, 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 the uh, Starbucks uh, responded by saying, they wanted the bargaining unit expanded the election, not just to be among the workers in that store, but all the workers in the area. All right, we've got to step aside for a quick recess, but we'll be back right after this. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Why do you think it is that there haven't been more strict laws when it comes to labor unions? Um, if if it does feel like employers are taking advantage of not getting penalized, why why is that? Why haven't why haven't things changed? The filibuster. Can you expand on that? <laughs> there, at the various efforts to to do labor law reform, uh, they're they've not been able to get to sixty votes in the Senate. But you said this that, is a bipartisan issue, right? Well, it's a 
Republican work, workers who are Republicans support unions. Republicans who are elected officials are often very anti-union. Just like the minimum wage is supported by, when you po do polling, by Democrats, Republicans, independents, by huge margins, Republican elected officials have stopped a raise in the federal minimum wage. So there's a big difference between bipartisan in the sense of the members of those parties and bipartisan in the sense of the people in office. And on, on many of these economic issues, there's a very big disconnect there. Hmm. Are there different types of unions? Because I'm thinking I took an acting class in college. Um, don't uh -huh. ask me. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, because then I, I was thinking some of my friends who are actors and actresses, they they can't. They're either union or non-union, and then it gets a little hairy when a, a union actor tries to do a non-union job. How does that all work? Well, there there are different kinds of unions. And sort of the, the broad brush stroke would be there are uh, craft unions, who, and craft unions have been around in the United States since the, the, the revolution, um, and the, they represent people in a particular occupation or craft, and that like the, the Screen Actors Guild or people building trades workers, plumbers, pipe fitters, carpenters. Um, and so they represent people based on their craft, right? Their, their, their particular occupation. Mm -hmm. And then we have industrial unions uh, like United Auto Workers who will represent everybody in the auto factory. Um, and so those play out a little bit differently. But in the case of something like, um, you know, the, the actors, act, I guess, actors equity or the Screen Actors Guild, or in those cases, by way of the union contracts, certain jobs are union jobs, or, and people who are going to have the have those roles uh, have to be members of the union. Hmm. Other jobs are not covered by the contract or, you know, often I think in, in movies, if you don't have a line, any dialogue, um, there are other cases where uh, uh, they are not included. And part of what that does with the craft unions and off, is that that then helps keep, provides a way to keep pay and benefits up, but also craft unions saw the real, uh, they, they saw the big problem for workers and a big problem for the, the industry as a whole, which is you look at, say, something like construction and building trades, you need to maintain a skilled and trained workforce. And people need to be able to be in that job over time. We know the longer people stay in the job, the less turnover, you have better quality work, fewer health, fewer safety accidents. And so the union provides a way that you're working for one employer one day and another employer another day, but that worker gets trained through the union apprentice program. They have a way to maintain benefits through the union trust funds. So they get health care, they get retirement benefits, which all these individual construction sites couldn't do because people aren't with them that long. And so that is a way of maintaining and supporting a skilled and trained workforce. And similarly in the entertainment industry, unions become a way that people who are doing that work can have health care 
uh, and can have retirement benefits as they're going from job to job. So that that's the one kind of unionism. The other is, you know, for like the United Food and Commercial Workers, they organize a grocery store. Everybody in the grocery store, if you get hired in the grocery store, you you're a member of the union. Um, that's a you know that's a, a that's the model of industrial union. Do you think uh, that well? So something that I you know, you read about all the time is the new workforce and the great resignation. Um, A recent insider report found that 65% of Gen Zers plan on joining the great resignation. So knowing that and knowing that people are demanding more, how do you see that playing out in terms of unions in the future? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's a great question because when workers see things that experience things in their workplace that are problematic and I mean, we see a lot of that coming through COVID, right? People who were, were, saw themselves called essential workers, but often treated as they were disposable and had employers put them in, in very dangerous situations. And so you've got two choices. Voice, if you have a way to get together with your coworkers and stand up and exercise that voice together, or exit. You leave and go look for a better, a better job elsewhere. And... In this last year, we've been seeing both of those things happen. We've seen large numbers of people leave their jobs, and they're not leaving the labor market. This isn't that it isn't great resignation in the sense of I'm going to go, uh, uh, you know, and, and play video games or something. It's I'm going to leave this job because I know I have better opportunities somewhere else. I'm going to leave this job for another job. Mm-hmm. So the labor market's growing. More people are going into the labor market but people are leaving jobs at record numbers to find better jobs. And we're also seeing workers get together with their coworkers, like uh, I mentioned Starbucks. We've also seen a lot of online media publications, some newspapers in the tech industry where workers are getting together and saying, let's use our voice to change this workplace rather than exit to try try to find a a better job elsewhere. Right. So if we, um, if you were to give any advice to someone who's listening, who's looking into joining a union, what would it be? I would say talk to people in your industry or in, 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 you know, similar kinds of jobs who are in unions and talk to them about what their experience is. And through that, you can figure out, all right, who is the union that would represent our uh, our industry, our sector, um, and then you know, then you can have those conversations to decide to determine: Do I think there's enough support in my workplace to be able to uh, to be able to go forward? I would say the other key piece of advice is: If you're thinking about organizing a union in your workplace, start out very quietly because once management knows. Mm they'll start their tactics to try to dissuade people. So it's important to begin quietly, contact a union, talk to other workers, figure out where you want to go, and then build from there. Ken, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for coming on. I think this is going to be really helpful for people listening as well. So thank you. Well, thank you. If you missed anything from class, these are my office hours, and here are some top takeaways about unions. Number one, 
The point of a union is to organize workers to collectively bargain for better working conditions. That could mean anything from health and safety to health insurance, more sick days, more predictable schedules, higher pay, so on and so forth. Ken pointed out the support for unions is at its highest since the 1960s. But that comes with another stat, and that brings me to number two. Only one in 10 workers are in a union. Compare that to the 1970s when it was one in four. Why is that? Ken says it's because we've seen, quote, a strong erosion of labor rights in the United States that's made it harder to start and join a union. That leads me to number three. Ken brought up that employers can delay the process with very little, if any, cost to them. Sometimes things can be delayed for years, so labor law reform is trying to keep those timelines as tight as possible and increase the penalties for violating the law. He suggests if you were starting a union to do it quietly so you can be prepared for whatever challenges come up in the process. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast on unions. For more podcasts, you can go to foxnewspodcast.com. And don't forget to subscribe to this one on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen and leave us a review. This has been Getting Schooled with Abby Hornacek on the Fox News Podcast Network. Class dismissed. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts.